0: Extended welcome to you this morning. The uh, title of my meditation is Spiritual Sustainability. It's, uh, first of all, sustainability is a real buzzword in our culture today, in our world in which we live and um you google walmart and sustainability what their plans are for preserving the earth and reducing their footprint in our world today um land lakes has a sustainability statement and uh, i think delvin I passed that on to him for our farm he had to fill out a sustainability survey how many gallons of water we estimate we use how many gallons of diesel fuel uh, all of our practices um, one of the big things that probably in our world that is driving that is the corporate America and uh, i I believe it's I believe it's good to be good stewards. I want to be clear on that I, I think we ought to be good stewards over what we have but the, the focus of a lot of uh, a lot of what we 're hearing today is is preserving the world, and uh, so I was thinking about that. if people were just as concerned about their spirituality as they are about conserving the natural world and their health and whatever else goes along with it, why you know how much better off we 'd be and uh, I pretty much had my sermon wrapped up, and I received this uh, sales flyer in the mail and, and some of you will probably recognize it and uh, I, there's nothing wrong with this statement here. It says, in today's farming economy, being efficient in in increasing yields or quality can be essential for survival. In our program, we are probing deeply into all avenues of farming practices like cover crops, cropping rotations. We find there are big differences in farming efficiencies, more yield or quality products, plus improved in health for long-term sustainability. And, uh, so that's, uh, one company's, uh, aspect of it. And I, there's, like I said, there's certainly nothing wrong with giving some forethought to being productive, being profitable. But, uh, as I thought about that, my thoughts turned to the spiritual side of it, spiritual sustainability. And when I'm talking about spiritual, I'm talking about that part of us that actually connects with God and, uh. God is a the spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You know we our, our culture today and our world today is so much uh, wrapped up in the temporal things of life and the physical things of life and as Christians, I believe it 's important that we uh, maintain a, a different vision and there was on our ministerial local ministerial uh, chatter, there was a uh, link put down for I'm not sure. I, I was going to double check it. I, the title of it was "Maintaining Anabaptist," maintaining Anabaptist uh, cultural vision or something like that. <laughs> Identity. <laughs> uh, so, uh, unfortunately, it wouldn't play for me, so I, I couldn't listen to it. But uh, you know, that was somewhat the same concept that we, we we don't become absorbed by the culture in which we live. We, we need to. We need to be different. We need to have a different focus than the culture in which we live. So spiritual sustainability, just giving you an idea, sustainability means unfailing, lasting, to establish, and enduring. Uh, Are you concerned about your spiritual sustainability this morning, that you will survive, that you will survive and sustain yourself spiritually? And some of the questions I ask myself, and probably some of what was leading up to this is, you know, I think it was Gary last Sunday, wonder what I'm doing and uh, besides milk and cows i, I i'm doing the bookwork year-end bookwork for maranatha prairie and the farm and you know and and at the end of the year for the farm particularly not so much the church in maranatha but uh you know we have a comparison a profit and loss statement that compares year to year you know you can look at the numbers and see across the line you know why why was it different what what happened what changed and uh from a spiritual standpoint, maybe we can't do that exactly, but I think it's important that we stop and think sometimes and ask ourselves, how am I doing spiritually? Uh, am I connecting with God? Is my spiritual being being sustained? Is it, am I getting the nourishment that I need? I found it very interesting, and this comes back very close to our Sunday school lesson. Actually, when I originally started preparing, I was going to I was actually going to use 1 Corinthians 10 as a springboard for my message, and I, of course, that was right in our Sunday school lesson, so the Lord directed me away from that, and uh, but in, in the, Jesus, in his, uh, answer to the devil in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he made this statement. This is after Jesus had fasted, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, tempted of the devil, and when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, Now listen, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That is a very powerful statement, and I I think there's a lot to be learned. And I'd like you to think this morning as I, I have five things listed that I think are critical to us to sustain ourselves spiritually. And number one is, is right here in Matthew chapter four, where we look at Jesus' example in his response to the tempter, Satan, devil, where, uh, Jesus very clearly, man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And if you look at that setting, that actually goes back to the book of Deuteronomy, where Jesus, where Moses actually was before the children of Israel were moving into the land of canaan he gave them this this talk to this sermon and uh, he actually if you it around chapter 8 verse 3 jesus was quoting that that declaration that moses god through moses had given to the children of israel so number one is as i think of maintaining our spiritual sustainability number one is is our response to temptation you want to be a strong christian you want to continue to grow we need to look at our response to temptations. It's an indicator of our spiritual sustainance. And I ask myself, how many times have I yielded to the tempter in the past year? And again, we, we see the key in Jesus' answer to Satan. He used the word of God in rebuking the devil and his temptations. You know, from a human standpoint, I've never fasted 40 days. I don't know if any of you have ever fasted that long. There are people that do and can but, you know, my human logic would say that after 40 days, bread would probably, I could come up with a number of reasons why it would be important. But Jesus saw beyond and where that temptation was coming from and where it would lead to. And how short and narrow-minded is my focus in thinking sometimes when I'm offered alternatives to what God wants for me and what maybe what God wants for you. I think through Jesus' example here in relating to temptations, we can see that he clearly gives us the example that spiritual is always, spiritual will always supersede the physical, always. We'll never go wrong. We need to ask ourselves, what are the spiritual implications of what I'm doing? Spiritual always supersedes the physical. And I guess as I I thought about that, that's foundational to any any spiritual experience we will ever have, I believe. We need to anchor ourselves. We need to grab and hang on to that foundational truth that spiritual always will supersede the physical or the temporal. And I, I pray that God would give me the vision and the ability to to see that and to understand that and to practice that and to live that in everyday life. And for you as a congregation, each one of you too. If you're going to experience physical, uh, spiritual sustenance. We need to have the response, the correct response to the temptations. Temptations are, are something we will encounter. I'll mark it down. You can mark it down. It's a guarantee. They will come. And like was mentioned in our Sunday school lesson, we have. The victory is ours if we're going to procure it through Jesus Christ. No temptation has taken us but that which is common to man. The second thing I want you to remember, as we think of spiritual sustenance, is the word "no." Learning to say no. Charles Spurgeon said, "Learning to say no will benefit you more than learning Latin." Uh, Learning to say no will benefit you more than learning to than learning the language of Latin. Some people, especially our those that are in Catholicism, would say the most accurate translation would be Latin. Uh, again, that's refutable. I know our English language of the translation has its shortcomings, perhaps, but uh, he's saying that word, no, is probably one of the best things we can do and learn. It'll benefit you more than learning the more accurate translation of the Scripture. Now, maybe that simplifies it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always right to say no when the issue in question will make you less than what God wants you to be. Apple founder, Steve Jobs, he said it's only by saying no that you can focus on the things that are that really matter and are and are of importance. He said learning to say no that it will only let you focus on the things that really matter and are important. A little two-letter word, but the difference that it can make in eternity when we say no to the temptations of Satan. When we say no to the things that want to crowd out our relationship with God. And oh, a very simple word. I was, I was thinking about words I, I thought of, I, I, I don't know how many words, it's, 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 how many words are in the English language and, uh, you know, the importance of keeping that simple two-letter word no at the top of our list of usage, especially as it relates to spiritual sustenance and those things that would encroach on our relationship with God. There's, there's various numbers that I've come up with. Some said there's 1,025,109 words, uh, and some had a closer 2 million words in the English language. Uh, I did find it interesting. It said there's 98 words, pardon me, no, a new word is added every 98 minutes in our English language. And the say technology is probably, I think, accounts for a good third to 50% of those words. So as our technological society is evolving, they're coming up with new words to identify things, functions, whatever. And uh, so I found that rather interesting. But um, they say the average American uses 7,500 words a day. I don't know how you would fit into that category. And the average American knows 20,000 words. I, I, I'm probably at the lower end of that for sure. Uh, maybe the Scrabble players, I don't know how they probably rank at the top of that. I'm not sure. But uh, the important thing is to remember the simple word no when it comes to spiritual sustenance. Anything that will make you less than what God wants you to be, we need to identify it and say no to it. It's going to encroach on my relationship with God and can I and am I willing to to not give it the time that it it's bidding me to to do. The third thing that I I find is as a, as a key to maintaining our spiritual sustenance is the aspect of faith. As I was thinking about words, I thought about the words the hymn that Phil, uh, hymn that uh, Philip Bliss wrote, "Wonderful Words of Life," familiar hymn. It's in our Zion's Praises, number seventy-two, I think it is. But uh, you know, as we think of our faith, and in that hymn there, he mentions the idea of 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 faith, words of life, giving us strength. And even as we fellowshiped and shared this morning in our Sunday school lesson or devotional, you know what that does for our our faith in God. Um, you know, Jesus quoted that that reference, that account there in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, and and we know the story of of the children of Israel, how that they. Uh, and we saw it there in uh, in our lesson text too. How that God was not pleased with many of them. Uh, you know, ten of the twelve spies that went in to spy out the land that God had promised to them to to possess it, they came back with a lack of of faith. And you know the price that they paid for that lack of faith. You think what you and I pay for our lack of faith in God so many times. <clears throat> As I was thinking about the children of Israel's experience, I want to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, actually, back before the verses that Jesus quoted. This is earlier as Moses was talking to them. and In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, he, he does make an interesting, uh, as I think about faith, the faith aspect of God. This is a promise that I, as we think of faith maintaining and sustaining us in our walk with him, Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. How many generations are we removed, Madden? Anybody want to take a guess? A thousand generations. He says... Anybody want to guess how many generations? We don't know exactly. You can go back. The Bible does record generations. So, and the one website that I was looking at did have some, I found it rather fascinating, I guess, put it that way. You know, generations were longer in the beginning of time, so they made allowance for that. According to some commentators, they're saying we're at probably 119 generations from Adam. I would have thought it had been more than that. Now, this same commentator, and I'm not here to necessarily say this is accurate, but this same commentator says that he wonders, he's just putting it out as a thought. He said, we don't know the return of the Lord, but he's saying, I wonder if if that a heartened. No, wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yes, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, I wanted to bring that verse in. Uh, I knew that I was missing a link here. Genesis chapter 6, verse 33, when... Uh, Genesis 6, verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit... This is uh, back when God was speaking to Noah, and uh, the flood was... uh, I should read verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, the daughters were born of them, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now this this commentator was suggesting that this may be a hundred and twenty years is a hundred and twenty generations. I'm not here to necessarily review, I'm just dropping this as a as a uh, for what it's worth. And so he's saying, now I don't think there's anybody here who would say that we probably are, without doubt, living in the end times. We are, I believe. So uh that thought kind of rang with me as I thought of the 120 gener- generations. If we're if we're in a hundred and nineteen generations, we are very close. Well, and I, I, I'll give the commentator credit. He said, we don't know the return of the Lord and, and we don't know exactly. And, but he said, I, I do believe that God does give clues and hints and he does. There are things as in the days of Noah, so will this coming of the son of man be. And then that verse of 120 days, he translates to 120 generations, perhaps. So we could get into eschatology here, what all has to take place before the Lord returns. And I, I finished, this winter I read the book, uh, Until Her Flight Was Called. Is that the title of it? Okay. And uh, that's a, a story of Michelle Richardson, who was a girl from Lawson Rachel's home church, came into the Mennonites, and uh, very, very interesting story. Uh, married, was never married till uh, older. I think, I'm think i not sure what her age was when she was married, but uh, she married a widower and uh, Dennis Krupp from, well, he was from Costa Rica, actually. And I was reading that book, and I came across his last some of his conversations with Michelle in their in their last days, and they were talking about the return of the Lord and and what's going to transpire. And uh, you know, there's premillennialist view, there's the amillennialist view, and I never felt like I quite fit into either either one of their camps. And uh, I remember Leighton Martin at one point saying. Uh, he didn't like, you know, another expression of pan-millennialism, you know, however it pans out, and I don't like that either. It's because I don't think it's going to just happen how it will. I believe God has a plan, and that's what I want to bring in about what Dennis Krupp said, who was Michelle, Michelle's husband. He said, you know, he said, as I look at both views, he said, I'm not sure that either one of them is quite accurate. So he said, I'm, I'm of the opinion that I'm a plan-millennialist. He said, I'm I'm. I believe God has a plan, and I know God has a plan how He will return, and uh, so I can hang my shingle on that one. I believe God has a plan, and if you don't like that, I guess that's you want to still think your pre-millennialist view or amillennialist view. Uh, I want to be gracious to that too, but uh, I, I'm going to hang my shingle on the plan millennialist view because I, I I like that expression of it. So, our faith is is that which needs to sustain us through to the end of time. Whether it's my physical life here, whatever time that may be, and uh, or whether it's the return of the Lord, uh, I'm talking about spiritual sustainability, that which will see us through to the end, unfailing, lasting. And again, God, as we look there in, in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse nine, God is faithful to a thousand generations. And we're only at, say, 119 or even some had it up to 140-some generations. So that would disallow the 120 interpretation. But, uh, again, it's a matter of how you calculate out the length of generations. But uh, the fourth thing that I see as I think of maintaining our spiritual uh, sustainability is, is the idea of understanding duty. And, again, that's borrowing the words of uh, from the song that Philip Bliss wrote, uh, that we may understand our our duty. Have a we need to have a clear understanding that our sustainability isn't about physical life, but it's about spiritual. And this is these are the words that Philip Bliss said. He said, "Echo the gospel call, offer pardon and peace to all, wooing them, wooing others to heaven." I like that. I like that expression. I think we need to understand as I as I look at my walk with the Lord, as I look at my responsibility. I need to echo the gospel call. I'm offering pardon and peace to all, not because of what I did, but because of what Christ has done. And extending peace to all and wooing them into heaven. Invite them. Am I that type of person? Can others see Jesus living in me? You know, the Anabaptists, and that goes back to the sermon that I mentioned there in the beginning. The Anabaptists, it was said of them that they loved not their lives unto death. They were ready to sacrifice their physical life for their, their duty to serve the Lord. The fifth thing that I, I see as our, as critical to maintaining our spiritual sustainability is the aspect of prayer. I'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. This is Paul writing here to the Ephesians, and he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus through all ages, world without end. Amen. And that's a powerful prayer there that Paul prayed in our behalf as well as the early church. So I thought about, first of all, we have the example of Christ. If you look at the, the ministry of Christ, there's at least ten to a dozen times that we have recorded in the scripture and probably many times that were, many times more that were not recorded where he exercised that, that avenue of prayer to his father. And, uh, you know, you think of, of Jesus, the son of God, if he needed that communication level, How much more do you and I need that communication as well? A number of things that I think prayer does for us. It develops our relationship with God and others through his spirit. Uh, Praying to God, it develops a relationship. And uh, I believe as we pray for others, it develops our relationship with them as well. It maybe helps us to understand God and others better, should Uh, prayer should be a two-way conversation. We pray for wisdom. We pray for answers. Do we stop and listen for those answers and wisdom that God can give to us? We pray for direction. And again, we pray for strength for temptations, quoting Matthew chapter 26 verse 41. And I believe as we think of praying, it also aligns us, it aligns our will. With God's will. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, prayer doesn't, many times, prayer doesn't change God, but it changes me. Does prayer change me? That's a question I need to ask myself. It also sets up the springboard for miracles, I believe. The hymn writer says, prayer is the Christian's vital breath. As I was thinking about, uh, things that are vital for sustaining our spiritual life, there would be a sixth one, and Dennis preached that last Sunday, that of be belonging to the body of Christ. I believe that's something that's important. Uh, the, the sustainance we receive from others, uh, no man is an island to himself. We need the vision. We need the inspiration that we receive from the broader fellowship. In conclusion, As I think about spiritual sustainability, you know, what is it that's going to keep us? In Jude, he says this, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and evermore. And that's a promise that I can give to you this morning. Unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present us faultless before him, And you think of our failures and faults and shortcomings. And God is willing to do that if we come to him and ask for forgiveness. And he presents us with glory and with exceeding joy. Is that what God could do for you this morning? I trust it is. And may God, may that be our experience for each one of us to uh, have that joy of being presented to God in his presence with glory and exceeding joy for his honor.